And a good morning, good to join our voices together in song. You see in your bulletin, uh, just in the order of worship, uh, an elder commissioning. We're going to actually kind of be doing that in the middle of the sermon, uh, not, not afterwards, but just kind of in the middle of it. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Today we're going to look at the rest of it. We went through verse 16 last week. The goal for today uh, is to get through then uh, the end of the chapter. We are both givers and receivers, right? We live in some kind of economy. Often we determine what we'll give for something based on what we uh, expect to receive from it. We have a consumer mindset. A lot of times you go to a store and you see something that you like or that you want, you look at the price, and if you think that's worth it to you, you make an exchange. You give something of value to yourself, the money, in exchange for the thing that you find to be valuable. So, I mean, maybe after this you go to Pizza Ranch. I heard that a lot of people in our church go to Pizza Ranch for the buffet after this. You go there likely because you like pizza and chicken. And you offer them to give them, like you look at this, this right and privilege they give you to eat as much pizza and chicken as, probably more than you should, but as much as you want, and you give them, you say, okay, that to me is worth $12 or whatever it costs now to eat that. We also determine how much we give based on how much we have, because you might really like pizza and chicken. And I'm saying that you're like, yeah, that's what I want today. But you might look at, okay, but I'm not sure that I have $12 to spare in order to get that. So that's another thing we use to determine how much we give. A consumer kind of mindset is, is something that's necessary to kind of do life in this world, but sometimes a consumer mindset can follow us into the church, that we might determine how much we give, how much of our money, how much of our time, how much of our gifts that we give based on those things, what I think I'm going to get from it, what am I going to receive from this, or maybe how much I feel like I have to spare, like I spend my money and my time and my gifts in so many other places, I kind of come here and I'm already empty-handed, I got nothing, I got nothing left. So the question is, is that the way that we should look at the church? Today's passage would be a passage that would lead me to say, no, here's the argument I'm going to make in today's sermon. It's coming from uh, this emotional, powerful, compelling text in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. And here's the argument. We, especially elders, should sacrificially give ourselves to the church for the good of the church because that's what Jesus did. If you're able to, would you stand and we'll read God's word. pray first, Father, quiet our hearts and our minds, pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, help us even now as we hear your word read, uh, to not just hear it, but to feel it, to believe it, to understand it, and to obey any application that comes from it. We need help from your Spirit to do all of those things, and so I pray that you would give that to us now for the sake of your name and the name of your Son. Amen. Listen to this passage, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. 
Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, We must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. You can be seated. Remember, I think the weight of the emotion that you see happening in that text, might, might, you might feel that more heavily if you're reminded of the context. Remember, Paul and the money and representatives that he was taking with him to head back to Jerusalem... Uh, he, he was trying to get there, remember, by the day of Pentecost. So he's got, kind of, he's got a deadline, and he's, he knows that he needs to keep moving. We read last week that he, didn't, he knew he didn't have time to go visit the elders and the church there in Ephesus. He had helped plant the church, remember, there, and he loved that church. Many places he would stay for weeks or just a few months. He stayed there for almost three years in Ephesus. And he would love to go back and swing back through there and spend a little bit of time with them. But he's got this deadline, got to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so he makes arrangements. He he loves the people there so much, he knows he needs to encourage them 
And so he arranges so that the elders from the church in Ephesus, about 30 miles away, can travel down to the port city of Miletus so that when he's traveling through there, he can have a little bit of time with them. And so what we have here is this speech. Almost all of what I read today is this speech that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. This is, by the way, just kind of an interesting note, the only extended speech in all of the book of Acts that is directed solely to Christians. Most of the time, Paul is talking uh, to a mixed crowd of those who are Christians and not Christians. Here, he's talking to believers, specifically talking to the Ephesian elders. And it's full of emotion. I think if we would have been there like Luke was, which we would find out in the next chapter, so Luke is there watching all of this. If you would have been watching all of this play out, Paul talking to these Ephesian elders, we don't know how many there were, but the elders, the pastors, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and we see Paul talking to them, I bet you would have had tears at least in your eyes and probably falling out of your eyes as you watched this interaction. We see that even in the text quite a bit. You know how we get most emotional about the people that we love the most, right? Paul loves these people in Ephesus. And so it's not a surprise that there's a lot of crying as they meet together. He encourages them and basically says goodbye for good. So point number one is this. Paul gave himself to the church for the church. Paul gave himself to the church for the church. How how do we see that? Well, what did it look like? What did Paul do? What was Paul's function in the local churches that he went to establish and encourage? What did he mostly do? Well, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So one thing that Paul did when he went to the churches is he declared. He spoke things that were profitable. Not always things that they wanted to hear, but things that he knew they needed to hear, right? So he didn't shrink back from declaring what was profitable. Not like, I don't know what you're going to think about me if I say this. If you need to hear it, I'm going to say it. That's the kind of guy Paul was. Declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then also teaching. This is still in verse 20. And teaching you in public and from house to house. What's Paul's ministry about? It's about declaring. It's about teaching. And he did teaching in public places, but he would also go from house to house and do a more private ministry of the Word as well. So declaring and teaching. This is all just in verse 20. Verse 21, testifying. Okay? And so he was was testifying to a certain message. Now, also to a certain people. He didn't didn't, uh, distinguish. He would preach both to Jews and to Greeks, it says there in verse 21. What was the message? What was the heart of Paul's message? Okay, So he's doing a lot of teaching, declaring, testifying. What's it about? Well, here's what he's doing. Verse 21, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. His message repeated over and over again is, you are sinners before a holy God. And so his message is one of repentance and turning in faith to Jesus. Right? That's the message he shares over and over. We actually have a couple more verses. If you look down in verses 26 and 27, we see more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And listen, he's talking again about what he did when he was with them. Verse 27, for I did not shrink 
from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was intentional as he met with the churches to teach the whole counsel of God. That's why in our church, I don't want to just kind of like pick uh, my favorite passages to preach through. We seek to teach through. Actually, just I'm not surprised. I have a spreadsheet uh, with all of this stuff to kind of just look at, like, how how are we doing? Are we teaching the whole counsel of God, or am I just kind of like picking my favorite books and we just go through Jeremy's favorite books and the stuff that's comfortable for Jeremy, or are we really teaching the whole counsel of God as a church? That's what Paul says. I didn't shrink back when I met with you. I gave you the whole counsel of God. So. Paul's ministry, the way he gives himself to the church for the church, is lots of teaching. Teaching, preaching, declaring, testifying, we see it all over the place. But then the other question is, how did Paul do that? Because you can, you can teach and declare and testify in all sorts of different ways. I love the way Paul gave himself to the church and for the church. Listen to some of the how. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul gives himself not just, oh, I've got a gift for teaching. You need to hear me teach. He's serving the church in any way he can with all humility, with tears. Like he's emotionally invested. He's not just kind of this, hey, I'm a good teacher. Listen up. I used to be a Pharisee. Listen up. Like, no, he's just, he, he loves these people. So he serves them with humility and with tears and often with many trials as well. And as he looks ahead, like, so it's been rough. Things have been rough for Paul as he's done his ministry. And as he looks forward, like, are better days still to come? Is that the sense you get from reading this passage, but better days are still to come? Like, ministry's been tough so far, but it's going to get really good here pretty quick. God's just going to shower me with blessings, right? Well, look at what he says, verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. We talked about this last week. In Luke's gospel, there's this, in, in chapter 9, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, right? From that point on, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. We know he's headed to his death. Here we see this again. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, listen to this, constrained by the Spirit. That's a strong word. He's not just feeling a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. He is constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, here's the only part I know. That the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This is how Paul serves the church. I will give myself to do the work that God has called me to do, the teaching that God has called me to do, and I know what I'm going to get for it is imprisonment and afflictions. That's what I've gotten so far, and that's what the Holy Spirit says I'm going to continue to get. And then verse 25, he knows he's never going to see them again. Or that's actually, yeah, verse 25. Behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. People that he loves. I mean, he could have lived a pretty comfortable life. They loved him there in Ephesus, and he loved them. What a comfortable place to land forever. But he knows God's called him to something else, and he knows that means he's going to die and never see them again. So you see why this is an emotional kind of gathering, right? If you didn't catch it when I was reading, you see tears in verse 19, right? He served the Lord with all humility and with tears. You see him again in verse 31, 
Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. How? With tears. And then what happens when they finally leave? He's getting back on the ship. Verse 37, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You've seen those pictures of soldiers leaving for battle, their parents not knowing whether or not, or their their husbands or wives or whatever, not knowing whether or not they're going to see them again. Paul, Paul's made it clear to them, you're not going to see me again. I'm leaving and I'm going to die for the sake of this mission. And so there is a sorrowful departing. Lots of tears. He's emotionally invested. But I love, so, so that would make me be like, oh man, can I, can I keep doing this? But listen to what Paul says. I love verse 24. That's why it's our memory verse for this week. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is a great example to the church of somebody who has been so clearly called by God to gospel ministry that he is giving himself to the church for the church. Okay, so they had a great leader while Paul was there for two to three years, but how's it going to go without him? Right? Well, what we see also in this passage is not just Paul reminding them of his example, but remember who he's talking to. Is he, who's he talking to? He's talking to the elders, right? He's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And so now, he's, he's using his own life as an example to tell them, this is how you're supposed to lead the church. <laughs> if you want to shepherd and lead the church well, elders, this is what you do. What I did. Give yourself up. Teaching is primary. How you do it with an attitude of humility, serving, pouring yourself out because you love the flock. And so we see that more specifically in verses 28 and following. Paul calls the elders to give themselves to the church for the church. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I have a folder that I take to all of our elder and deacon meetings, and on that folder, I have this verse in there. This reminder from Paul to the elders and pastors there in Ephesus, and a reminder that I want to see for myself. Two things he calls them to be attentive to. One, pay attention to yourselves, right? Pay close attention to yourselves. They're not just men doing a task. They're men who are called to be examples to the church. And so they better be paying attention to the way that they are loving and living. And then also, he calls them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now he's starting to use this kind of shepherd language. He calls the church the flock. Pay attention to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, just a quick note, uh, the, the, the words for like pastor, elder, overseer, those are used relatively interchangeably, it seems, as you look at the way they're used throughout the New Testament. So they are to, what are they to do with them? Verse 28 says, they are to 
care for the church of God. Or more literally, that could be translated, you are to shepherd the church of God. Okay? You're to shepherd the church of God as an elder, caring for them. I tell our elders often, I get this from a book that I think summarizes well what an elder is to do in the church. Elders and pastors are called to know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Why? Why is this so important? Why is, why is Paul so emotionally invested in communicating these things to these elders? Look at the rest of verse 28. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church doesn't belong to the elders. The church belongs to God. And it was bought at a great price that the elders didn't pay. Jesus did, right? Then there are warnings. <laughs> warnings to them in the verses that follow. We're not going to read each of them again. But you heard me as I read them earlier. What's going to happen as, as, I, as Paul leaves? There's going to be fierce wolves coming into attack. There's going to be men rising up from within your own church that are going to twist words and deceive people. And so he calls them to be alert in verse 31. And then in verse 32, like Paul's looking at these guys that he knows and he loves and he's, he's warning them about, here's how it's going to be for me and here's how it's going to be for you. It's going to get ugly. And I love verse 32 then where Paul says this, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Paul can't do much more for them. The only thing he can do is just commend them to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. They will be built up by God's word as they are made more and more holy. They're sanctified until the day when they receive their inheritance. Paul's not telling them. It's, not a, it's, not, it's far from a prosperity gospel. Paul's telling them, listen, if you want to serve the church, it's going to get ugly for you. I'm waiting for imprisonment and affliction and death. That's where I'm headed. And if you want to continue to shepherd the church, you're, you're also headed uh, to some pretty hard stuff. Fierce wolves attacking the flock. People twisting words. You need to be alert. And he commends them to the word of God's grace and the grace of God. And then in verses 33 to 35, the last verses of his speech, Paul reminds them again of his own ministry. He worked hard to serve them, ultimately pointing to Jesus, not just with his words, but with his actions. And then, and then he uses this quote from Jesus, which Interestingly, look at the quote, verse 35. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, so Paul is quoting Jesus, but if you went back and read through all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would not find any record of Jesus saying that. Does that mean Jesus didn't say it? No, not at all, right? Aren't there a lot of things that Jesus said that didn't get recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? One of the things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John didn't record that Jesus said and was passed down so that Paul heard it is that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's this quote. I really think in many ways it's kind of like a principle that's kind of underlying this whole passage. Paul is 
holding himself up as an example of one who has given himself to the church for the church. He's calling the elders to give themselves to the church for the church. And he's reminding them of Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. You don't come to the church first and foremost as as a consumer, although we do come to consume, like we are in need of so much, and so that's part of why we come. But Paul, in talking to the elders, is, is emphasizing to them, you come to give. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so they're going to give up a whole bunch. They're going to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. Why would they do that? Well, I think we got to come back to, let's not miss the gospel in this. Paul says, I gave myself to the church for the church. You Ephesian elders, give yourselves to the church for the church. Why? Because Jesus gave himself to the church for the church. That's what we see in verse 28, right? We already touched on it. In verse 28, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Remember, not too long after this, Paul would write a letter to the church in Ephesus. And in in that letter, chapter 5, verse 25, he's talking to husbands first, but showing them that, hey, this, this marriage that God has designed is an illustration or a picture of a greater reality. Here's what it says. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. Now listen. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Right? How, does, how does Jesus demonstrate His love for the church? He does it by giving Himself up for her. How are husbands to love their wives? By giving themselves up for her. Right? How are elders to love and care for the church? By giving themselves up for her. Because of what Christ has done. And uh, a lie that you could easily believe is that you're not worth it. The truth is, <laughs> you read a passage like this, the church has been obtained by the blood of Jesus. You're bought with a price, right? And so, how marvelous, how wonderful, right? When we sing of our Savior's love for us, that's our response. How marvelous, how wonderful. All right, we're going to talk about application. I I wrestled with this quite a bit this week. I kind of thought I had a a good direction for the sermon, and then I wasn't sure about it. I hate it when that happens, but because I want to, like, I want to be efficient, right? But but more than being efficient, I I want to be accurate. And so, Pastor Nick and I had this conversation. We went to meet with some other pastors on Thursday, and in the car on the way back, had a good conversation. I don't know if we landed at the right spot, but. Here's where we landed. It's Sunday, and so here we go, right? Um, the question that I asked Pastor Nick that I was wrestling with is this application of Paul's example, saying, I've given myself to the church for the church. Elders, you give yourself to the church for the church because Jesus has given himself to the church for the church. Is that something that when I preach to a whole church full of people, there's like six of us all together in here that are elders, Am I wasting your time? Like, do you need to hear all this? Is this just a message that applies to elders? Or is it a message that applies in some way or another to the entire church? Here's here's where we landed on that. That the application has to go first and most specifically to the elders of the church. 
but not only to the elders of the church. So let me do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, you saw in the order of worship, an elder commissioning. Uh, in our business meeting on Sunday, you all voted uh, on, on here, the members of the church voted on who would be the, the elders of the church for this coming year. And so if I could have those elders just come up on stage with me for a moment. And I'm going to apply this passage to us in front of all of you. And it's good for us to be looking at you and for you to be looking at us as we do this. And then I'm going to, after this, have them sit down and talk about ways in which I think this also applies just to all of us as well. So elders, we should hear and take the heart, the call of Paul to the elders in Ephesus. One thing I think you as a church should know is that these men have been qualified by God to serve in this role, and you as a church have recognized them as such. They have given years of committed, sacrificial, servant-hearted leadership to this church. You know the newest two, like the, the, fewest year, uh, the fewest number of years that elders have given are from me and Pastor Nick. These guys have all served as elders uh, for longer than the two of us have. They love you. They have given much for you. They're, they're imperfect, and all their wives say amen, but faithful examples of men who love you and have given up countless hours of their time, who have used their gifts not to lord their position. That's what I love about these guys. They're not like, I want to be an elder again because I love me some power. That's, that's not the kind of elders you have, church. You have men who use the position that God has entrusted to them, that you have entrusted to them, they use that in order to serve you. Bearing your burdens, praying fervently for you, leading sometimes in public ways, but a lot more often in very private ways, and I am so grateful for them. And so, elders, let's just, uh, let's just hear this call. I'm not going to make up something new. I'm just going to read again Acts chapter 20, verse 28 where it says this, pay careful attention to yourselves, careful attention to yourselves, and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, or to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then there's these warnings, remember, that Paul has in there. And I love verse 32, which I think we also need to hear. Like, and I, I, it's hard to, like, I want to talk to them, but I am, like, you know, this is us together, right? Paul says to them, because he's no longer going to be an elder with them, he's, he's leaving, right? That's not, I'm, I'm sticking around, so we're doing this together. Verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So that's what I want to do. Just like commend us ourselves to God. Like we can't do this. Uh, and so, so we're going to pray. And if you would be kind of following along in prayer with me from where you're at, let's do that now. Father, I love these men and we together love this church. We know our love for this church pales in comparison to your love for this church. But thank you for entrusting us with so much.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making us overseers. And we now commend ourselves, God, to you and to the word of your grace. And God, my prayer is that, that we would get to the end of our lives whenever that might be. And that we would be able to say, as Paul said to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Father, I thank you for the way that these men labor, and I thank you that in Christ their labor is not in vain, and I pray that you would hold them, that as they pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock, that you would sustain them, you would hold them tightly in your grip, that we might continue to love and shepherd this church well in the year to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated, elders. And then, like I mentioned, even though I think we needed to, first and foremost, address the application to them, are there ways in which this call to give yourselves to the church for the church, because that's what Christ has done, is there a way in which that applies to all of us? And I would just say, yes. There is a way in which this applies to all of us. And, and let, me, let me maybe uh, point out a couple of things before I get to all of us. I, I already kind of called out the elders, but I think it would be wrong for me not to also share a quick word to elders and pastors' wives. So to Linda and Linda and Trish. Oh no, I knew I'd forget one. Linda and Linda and Trish and Carol and Jen and Kirsten. Thank you for loving us. As we give up our time and our attention to the flock who is sometimes hurting, I know I just I, I know Kirsten better than the rest of them, and I know she encourages many of you in so many ways: text messages, phone calls, conversations. But you don't see all the ways that she serves me. How she's patient with me when my mind is thinking about you, even though I'm home. How my heart is hurting for you. She doesn't know what's going on, but she shows me lots of grace. And in this way, Kirsten and the other elders' wives are giving themselves to the church for the good of the church. Whether you see it or not, and I'm thankful. And they too can be an example to all of us in different ways. We're all going to do it in different ways. Kids, Kids, you got to wait a long time sometimes to do stuff that you want to do. Like you want to drive and you got to wait a long time until you can drive. You want to graduate and there's a lot of stuff you got to do before you graduate. You have to wait to be maybe a certain age or a certain level of maturity to get a phone. You really want to get a phone. But you know what, kids? You don't have to wait a certain amount. There's not like a certain age you have to get to to find out ways to serve, right? I think one of the most important places for kids to serve is right in their own house. Because you know what, kids? Listen, kids, you have a mom and a dad. Are your mom and dad ever tired? Like, they ever seem worn out? You know what makes them tired a lot of times? You do, right? You do. 
Because we love you, and because we love you, we pour ourselves out for you. So like, we do all sorts of things. Part of being a parent is not just telling your kids what to do. We do all sorts of things because we love you. And we're tired sometimes. You know what a great thing for you to do as kids would be? Just find little ways to serve your parents. I just talked to my sister on the phone this weekend, and she was so encouraged. Her two little boys are like kindergarten and first grade. She asked them to go pick up two things in the basement, and a half hour later, they still weren't up. She's like, uh-oh, that's, that's bad, right, for a parent? She goes downstairs, you know what they had done? Cleaned up the entire basement. That's so encouraging, right? When kids, you can find ways to serve your parents. Parents, we've been talking about this. One of the things we talked about in our parenting class is, you know, if, if we're talking about leading our kids and leading our family well, what does leadership look like according to Scripture? Serving. Right? We give our, like, we, we're attentive to, we make sure we have time. Like, we're not just always running, but we're, we have time to listen to what's going on in the lives and hearts of our kids, and we're attentive to what's going on with them so that we can find ways to serve them. Parents and kids are a lot of people in our church. A lot of times we feel like as families we're just tired and running and grumpy. Actually, I just ran into a family. I'm not going to call anybody out here in town because they were visiting from out of town. They were here for the tumbling thing yesterday. I ran into them when I was picking up some pizza at the pizza ranch and uh, they didn't look like they were doing too well. They had spent their whole day uh, spent their whole day uh, at a tumbling competition thing. That's what a lot of families, you know, you, you spend a lot of time like watching your kids do things. And, uh, and they just were honest with me like we're tired and we're grumpy. And now we're hungry. Uh, that's not a good combination. But that's how, that's how families feel a lot of times, right? Man, what, what a gift to be able to be served by others. Families, uh, kids, parents. But also in our church we have single people, retired people, young people, old people. While you may not have kids in your home who need to be served, you do have a church family. Right? We see our church as a family, and as we look around, are there ways that you could, think about this, are there ways that you could do more to give of yourself to the church for the church? Maybe it's making a meal for somebody, maybe it's just meeting somebody. Like, you know, people, like, people are lonely. You might be one of them. And it's hard to take on a take a step. It's risky to take a step and reach out to some just have somebody over to your house. Get together somewhere for coffee so you don't have to clean your house. Whatever. I have some ideas. If you've got some time during the week, I've got some ideas of ways that you could just like, hey, I'm not really like all that people stuff that kind of scares me, but I do want to give myself to the church for the church. All right, you got some tasks we could do? We got some tasks you could do. You got some free time during the week? Let us know. Give you some tasks to do. But I want to be people who get to the end of our lives spent. Don't you? I remember when Scott Carter, our new missions partner, was here, one of the things that he said, he said, like in the race of life, as you're getting towards the end, don't coast. But if you watch like a, it's really fun to watch like a cross-country race or a track meet, where at the end of the race, you see somebody just with a kick. Like, I only got a little bit left, and I'm not leaving here with anything left in my tank. I don't care if I vomit at the end. I am giving it all I got, leaving it all on the field or the court or wherever else you might be finishing with a kick, wearing out our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and our bank accounts for the sake of the gospel. 
Because here's what I want. I want us to get to the end. Here's what I want for me. Here's what I want for us. That we get on our deathbed and we're not looking back at our life and saying, well, I got all I could. But looking back at our life from our deathbed and saying, well, I gave everything I have. Listen, following Jesus is not about getting what you can. It's about giving all you have. It's not about satisfying yourself. It's about denying yourself. It's not about saving your life. It's not about saving your money, saving your time, saving your energy. It's about losing it, giving it up for the good of others. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Christian life is not about getting what we can in the here and now. It's about being so assured of a future inheritance right, that we willingly give our limited time, our limited money, our limited bodies sacrificially because we know that all of eternity means that we will be experiencing pleasures forevermore at the right hand of Jesus. That's what Paul said when he was writing to Timothy, right? That's what I, I was using that as my prayer for the elders. He's saying, like, the end of my time has come. I've poured myself out. I got nothing left, but I know what's waiting for me, a crown of righteousness. Paul knew what was waiting for him here on this earth. Imprisonment and affliction and death. They're going to kill me. But I know what's awaiting for me in heaven, a crown of righteousness, an inheritance that he talks about there in verse 32. Oh, man, here's the deal. I got another page of notes, uh, but sometimes I talk too much. Um, there's good stuff in the life group guide. Uh, if you're not meeting with a life group, uh, I'd encourage you to go through that on your own. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe just a quick uh, disclaimer. Some of you hear a message like this. Here's the challenge of preaching to like a hundred some different people who are all in different spots. Some of you, you, you put a whole lot of burden and load on yourself all the time. And you are currently giving yourself to the church for the church for the sake of the gospel. Yet you're going to hear me and you're going to feel like, I, I'm not doing enough. and I'm totally worn out. I got nothing left. I don't love my family well because I'm doing everything. Like, that's not what, don't hear me say, sacrifice your family for the good of the church. Right? Don't, don't hear me say that. So I know I'm preaching to some people that are going to like add an extra load on themselves and, and walk away feeling overburdened. But I also know I'm talking to some people who have not made very many steps of giving yourselves to the church for the church, and you need to be challenged today to give. Of Maybe, maybe it's, it's giving of your money, giving of your time, giving of your gifts in more significant ways because you've mostly been a receiver and a consumer and not a, a giver. Maybe you need to hear that. So I know I'm talking to both people, so I, I, I just have to trust the Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit needs to do in your heart. Um, and I would just maybe close with this, that we need to be looking to Jesus. That's the only way this works, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? How, do, how do we endure hard stuff? How do we, how do we give up ourselves sacrificially if we don't have in mind looking to Jesus? How did Jesus endure the cross and scorn its shame? Because he had in mind the joy set before him. 
So let's be a people who keep the joy set before us. Uh, so Allie kind of is putting together two songs uh, the worship music is going to lead us in at the end. He will hold me fast in how great thou art. I never would have put those two together, but it's, it's cool, right? Uh, that, that he will hold me fast. This is, this is the, the confidence that we have. Not that as I give myself up, that I'm going to have everything it takes in my tank all the time. But I'm going to give myself up knowing that he will hold me fast all the way to the end until the day I hold on to my inheritance. And part of the way that he's going to hold me fast is I'm going to continually be reminded of his greatness, of the joy set before me, of the reward being forever, eternity, in heaven and on the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus. That's what motivates us, seeing that the the greatness and glory of God motivates us, especially in the gospel, motivates us to give ourselves. We need help with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what you need to do with us, that you would comfort those who are weary, who have already poured themselves out and are pouring themselves out for the sake of the gospel. I pray that you would convict those who are worn out from giving themselves to trivial things. I pray that you would help us to be a church who sacrificially gives ourselves to the church for the good of the church, for the sake of the gospel, because that's what Jesus did. Help us to persevere even as we trust you to hold us fast. Help us to be motivated above all by looking to our Savior, motivated by your greatness, motivated by your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand.